Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Some new intro music for you. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout Matt Williamson as always. A fantastic guest, one of our local experts, Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns joining us today talking Cleveland. They've got their new regime taking shape. Is this the right group to lead Cleveland to the promised land. You can find this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. All of your teams covered here in the NFL, Major League Baseball as well, NBA, hockey, college sports. Your team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. We'll be getting heavily into the NFL draft and free agency on the program tomorrow. Twitter Thursday, Friday, talking draft The Combine, it's hard to believe, right around the corner. And Mondays, from here on out, now that the season is officially over, no more recaps, Mock Draft Mondays on Locked On NFL. Our guest today is Jeff Lloyd. He is the host of Locked On Browns. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Want to get that right. There might be some other Jeff Lloyds out there that you don't want to follow. This is the Jeff Lloyd to follow. (laughs) Talking Browns, football, A really interesting time right now for the Browns, and it seems like the team that most often churns over their front office, their coaching staffs, and we were just talking a little bit off the air about how sometimes that's a nice bump for you in your job as host of a podcast about the Browns and getting some excitement, getting the fan base stirred up and getting a few more listens, and I know hosting Locked On 49ers, it's been the same. January's been huge. You start looking at new coaching staffs or you start looking at the draft and people get excited in a different way. New beginnings, more exciting than the season when you're a bad team and where your mindset is for your fan base, but how quickly it can be a very different situation in January and February. I want to start with the coaching staff, the GM, just what are your initial thoughts? The hiring of Kevin Stefanski, was that the right hire for this team? Andrew Barry at GM, is this the proper vision? Do you feel like going forward after you've gotten to know who these guys are that have been hired to run the Cleveland Browns now? Well, obviously, Browns fans were familiar with Andrew Barry. Um, you know, he had been an up-and-comer here in the past. Um, and even when John Dorsey originally got here, um, he thought he had high plans for Andrew Barry. And he talked about how, you know, he was going to listen to the nerds and talk to the nerds. He didn't. Um, and then, obviously, as it rolled on and the opportunity came last February where Philadelphia Eagles were interested in Andrew Barry figuring, you know, my work here is not really being – it's not that it was, you know, not essentially being recognized, just wasn't really being used. So he took the opportunity to go to another organization. They gave him an opportunity to do some things outside of his comfort zone. And he talked about today in his introductory press conference that one of the goals he wants to do is, you know, and this is something you, you want to hear from people who do things with an analytical approach. He wants to know his players. He wants to get to know them better. It's one thing to just, you know, look at numbers and how you want to do things, but it's also you have to sometimes take in the shape of the man that you're speaking about and knowing the man and what's his background and what works best as far as the best way to communicate with him, which is why I think, you know, obviously the female addition to the assistant coaching staff was a great idea. I mean, I, I, you know, I was one of six kids. I didn't see my father much. Guess what? If I had an issue, I had to go to my mom. Dad was busy. You just want to be able to go with different approaches. Kevin Stefanski, look, what they said they were going to do, and this was the part that got Browns fans so enraged, literally two days after the season was over, after Freddie Kitchens was removed, and after John Dorsey, they parted ways, however you want to say it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, <clears throat> Jimmy Haslam sat with the media. And so we are going to take a long and extensive approach 
to this entire process. A week later, people are pissed. There's no head coach. Two weeks later, they're still pissed. There's no head coach. Um, you know, so finally, when Kevin Stefanski was available, got you know through the final phases of the interview process, I think everybody just assumed it was going to be Josh McDaniels because you can't really take Jimmy Haslam at his word. Um, he's always just seemed to do what he wanted to do. Everything pointed towards that. You know, Jimmy and his wife, Dee, were infatuated and have wanted Josh McDaniels to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns for a very long time. But they sat down and they looked at everything. They, you know, they weighed the pros and cons. Um, obviously, Paul DePodesta and the folks that were still in there, you know, had their word. And it didn't also help that, you know, Josh McDaniels basically at the end of his interview time with the Haslam said, well, that's okay. Um, pretty much whatever here, I'm, we're going to bring in our own people. So obviously there was no way Paul DePodesta and his guys were going to say, yeah, hire him. I'll clean up my office immediately. Um <laughs> So you went with that approach, but I mean, in what it, it's kind of what I'm trying to tell the listeners here is, guys, I don't care if the approach is we'll take every decision, put it on the wall with three, yes, no, maybe we'll do it. And every time there's a decision to be made, you wear a blindfold and throw a dart. At least they're doing something in unison now. Uh, you know, they tried the analytical approach and then you had a coach like Hugh Jackson. Then you brought in the John Dorsey with some analytical guys behind him and they're all saying, okay, here's our work. And he's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, no, no, don't draft Chad Thomas. He didn't produce it all in college. Okay, we'll put that to the side. I'll draft Chad Thomas. So at least now everybody's going to be on the same page. And it's, look, there's going to be decisions where not everybody agrees because, look, at the end of the day, you can take all the data you want. It doesn't mean everybody's going to arrive to the same decision. There's still going to be calls that are marginal. And one may say, I wouldn't make it. One may say, I am going to make it. But at least it's a unified front. And to not use every bit of information that is at your hand makes zero sense. And all my Browns fans, the older ones, analytics, uh, this is, uh, I mean, if you have a smartphone, does anybody buy something online without saying, hey, can I get it for $2 cheaper somewhere else? That's taking an analytic approach to something. So why not do everything you can to at least try to ensure whatever decision you make is going to be successful? Right. That makes sense with just, the data the, the you're just looking at data and it's how people use that data, which is what really matters with the analytics. Cause there's analytics in every front office. There's tons of data. It's what data you want. What are you looking for? And how do you use the data you get, which is going to show what teams are probably doing the best around the league versus the ones who are not. And in some cases, film is that data, right? What can I use here? What am I seeing here? Who, who watches the film and finds the thing you need to, to get the edge on an opponent. And the same thing is with data. There's tons of data out there. Um, you could drop a 50-page book on me with tons of data, great information, but if I don't know what I'm looking for, it's not going to help me. So all of this working together is important. Uh, Jeff, you said one thing about the structure of the front office, and they might not agree on every decision when it happens. Who is at the top of the pyramid? Is it Andrew Barry? Is it Kevin Stefanski? When it comes to the draft or signing a free agent, if there is a disagreement in the room, who's the guy that makes that final decision? I, I believe all signs are pointing to it. it's going to be Andrew Barry, and that's another one everybody likes to throw at these guys. Uh, none of them are football guys. Uh, last time I checked, you know, Ivy League football. It's pretty good. Um, you start four years at a cornerback <laughs> in the Ivy League. Yeah, I think that you know, constitutes you as a football guy. And for Andrew Berry, he didn't have to go this road. He didn't have to go, you know, become a bottom barrel guy in the Indianapolis Colts, you know, uh, you know, 
you know, watching tape and running errands and basically being, you know, the, the peon young guy, the low man on the totem pole. The guy's a Harvard graduate. He played football. Guess what you do? You call your other Harvard graduate buddies and you go to an auction house or you go start, you know, you go start at the stock market at $600,000 a year. He chose this road. This is something he's wanted to do. Um, and, you know, they're going to, and this is what we love, is they're going to take even as far as the draft. They're going to take the, okay, what did he test like? Did he test like a super athlete? Great. Did he produce like a super football player? Even better. Okay. He's not 23 and a half. He's only 21. Even better. All right. Now let's watch the film. That's fantastic. Or even like you said with, you know, some things that are done through analytical. Look, we need a tight end that we can make sure can hook the D end because we want to run outside. We want to run outside zone. Okay. Well, this is the way we have graded. And yeah, this guy only looks like he might be a, a guy that's available in the sixth round, but you want to know what? As far as exactly what you're talking about, as maybe being a second or a third blocking tight end, this guy could be a steal in the sixth round. That's analytics. That's how you use it. And look, it's going to come down to talent that are not just going to just take guys for no reason. And what do you mean the guy runs a five-two and he's a wide receiver? Don't they? People want to overblow that stuff. Um, There is still football at its core, but just like you said, Brian, with anything, it's taking all the information at hand knowing how to use it, so not poo-pooing on it and using it to your advantage. Well said, and I like the united front idea. Everyone on the same ship, start from scratch. Everyone's you know on the same page, whatever cliche you want to use. But I think two obvious questions are, we saw an inexperienced head coach last year in Cleveland, and that went very, very poorly. And there's very little experience in that building. You can look at that a bunch of ways. They don't have bad habits yet. They're all going to grow together. Or they don't know what the heck they're doing yet. And my biggest concern, and I lived through this, is <laughs> all that's wonderful, but if ownership only gives it a year or two, it's not going to work. With any of this, there is, you know, you put in the equation of, when is the running clock, so to speak, going to run out as far as, you know, what the Haslam's have. But as far as this, and, you know, you said starting over, but it's a little bit different when you're starting over when you think you have your quarterback. You've got a running back. You've got two wide receivers. You've got a pretty darn good pass rusher. You've got what you think are your starting cornerbacks. So it may be starting over up top, but you're also not starting over roster-wise, which is basically where this analytic plan started. And their plan was, well, we're never going to get a free agent here because nobody's going to come here. It doesn't matter what we offer them. They're not coming here. At least now, you know, and you may be able to sneak one or two in because for the Browns, the cap is getting really, you know, where the rubber's about to meet the road, so to speak. But you do actually have players on the roster. This is where the analytic approach, and obviously it didn't get a chance to finish its path down the course uh, with Dorsey Handle in the 18 and the 19. But yeah, there. this is the ultimate, basically, kaput, which will blow up any equation is... If Jimmy and D say, we're done, what's next? What's behind door number two? Which is exactly what happened to John Dorsey. Jimmy Haslam. And many others. Yes, but Jimmy Haslam, <laughs> and as you know, Matt, he kind of has his his flavor. It's you know the one guy in the building he goes to. John mm-hmm. held that for a while, held it for over a year. And then this year, the fracture started to take place. And it started to become Paul D. Podesta. And once that became it, you know, there was no, you know, obviously, you know, you could call it a firing, call it a quitting, call it a mutually, mutual parting of the ways. John knew if I don't have his ear anymore, 
then there's l- literally no reason for me to be here. So, all right, you're on to your next phase. Uh, you know, John's on a, whatever the next phase of his life will be. But, you know, there is no, it's the kaput to any equation there is. It is literally the anthrax to the equation is the Haslam's could bust it up at any point. All right, we get more to get to here with the Browns. I want to talk about the players on the field. Baker Mayfield, yeah. his outlook going into 2020. More with Jeff Lloyd coming up. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's like blue, the color blue, and chew because you can chew it. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. That makes a lot more sense to me. For instance, most guys talk a good game, but if you're one and done, Blue Chew can even help your follow-through for round two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made right in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Jeff, a few things I want to wrap up with the front office coaching staff before we get to some of the players and what this Browns team could look like on the field in their quest to turn things around here and a very talented roster. The offensive and defensive coordinators, we've got Joe Woods, who just it was announced that he's coming over from the 49ers. So it looks like the Browns got a piece of that 49ers defense after passing over Robert Sala for the head coach job. Was that sort of the idea in your mind there by um, by the Browns to get a piece of that 49ers defense still? Um, well, the thing is, is Joe Woods and Kevin Stefanski, they were together in Kevin's infancy and in the coaching staff in Minnesota. Kevin got there in 2006. Um, the, you know, some of the guys he's initially brought in were guys who were with him there. Uh, Chad O'Shea, who had a long run with the Patriots, and then one season with the Dolphins. He was part of that 06 click. Joe Woods was. And these guys at the time were, you know, the beginning guys. You know, it was the late night. It was the 12-pack of beer and going over some film with some pizza because um, they were the bottom dwellers. Uh, Kevin was the one who remained in Minnesota and gradually through. And the thing with Kevin Stefanski, which is promising, I think, is not many guys stay in an organization through three head coaches. So that probably showed the cut of the jib that Kevin Stefanski has went from, you know, obviously went from one coach to another and obviously where he's at now made it through the Vikings all that time through three head coaches. There's a lot of turnover in the league, as we all know, to make it that long in an organization that had three head coaches shows a lot about Stefanski. Um, it wasn't so much the 49ers. I think it was somebody he was comfortable with. And obviously he's had, uh, you know, two years, you know, with the Denver Broncos of being a defensive coordinator. So it made him with a guy that he can trust and he knows. And the other thing is, is, you know, it's a guy that's got experience and it's not, he's just throwing a first time defensive coordinator out of there because look, you want to, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of young coach, you know, first time head coaches, what do you do? You normally go out and you try and bring your guys in. Well, you're going to hope at least your guys, you know, you're just not, you know, if you're a first time head coach, Last thing you want to be doing is naming your buddy as a first-time defensive coordinator, naming your other buddy as a first-time offensive coordinator, because guess what? 
if it doesn't look good in 12 months, you got to go fire two friends of yours. Um, so at least these guys, you know, obviously with Woods, you're getting a guy who's already done the job before. You know, in terms of scheme and what Stefanski brings and Vikings, Kubiak, you know, analytics, all these key, these key buzzwords, I think it's a great fit for Baker. I think Chubb can do everything Cook did. I think the the weapons will be used very, very well. That the skill position, including quarterback, to me, aren't much of a concern. And that might be taking the quarterback thing a little too lightly. But I expect all those guys to take a step forward. And I'm not sure Odell was healthy at all last year. No. Um the you know before it was finally announced that it was, you know, a hernia and it was going to be a hernia surgery. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, and, and Odell has a groin, you know, so-and-so has an ankle, the way it goes. But this was in the summer. This is why he didn't play in the preseason. Um, and the other thing is it's really hard to get a rapport going with somebody when they can only practice on Friday. Jarvis Landry was only practicing on Thursday. So, yeah, those things were difficult. Um, as far as the offense itself, like what you saw what the Browns did last year, like first 15 plays or so was great. And then nothing was going right. And, oh, no, now we're down 10 points. So what would they do? All right, let's just give the ball to Nick five out of the six, five out of the next, you know, five out of the next six plays, see what happens. You know, most of the time, Nick Chubb would go 50 yards, get you a touchdown, get you back in the game. But there were so many times on, you know, post games or on Monday afternoons, we're here in Freddie Kitchens. So this guy ran the wrong route. This guy's running the wrong route. This guy's running the wrong route. And for me, even after like a week or two of it, it's like, all right, well, what the hell's going on here? Why are so many guys running the wrong routes? Something, something's not adding up here. Right. And then, obviously, you know, uh, when uh, you know Monkin, after you know he was moved on, said, "Well, we scripted a really good 15 plays each week, week in, week out. We thought we did a really good job." And then after that, Freddie, I mean, Freddie wasn't just going rogue on the playbook; he was going rogue on stuff they hadn't practiced, hadn't practiced in three weeks, calling plays from a game a month ago, and so you saw more and more of, okay, well. All right, maybe so-and-so is running the wrong routes because he's only practicing on Friday and you're calling plays that you haven't ran in a month. So, you know, all that stuff adds up and it's a recipe for disaster. And what and what looked good was the continuity of Nick Chubb and most of the offensive line week in, week out, even though the tackles were not that great. Why? Because that was the one consistent was, you know, Nick was there every practice, every game, and most of the offensive line and that's what worked. Why did the passing game look such disarray? And, you know, I remember talking with you guys in the offseason. I was excited about Odell, Jarvis, Rashard Higgins, Antonio Callaway, who looked good as a rookie, you know, David Njoku. Well, guess what? It ended up being Odell. It ended up being Jarvis. Everybody else was, you know, for whatever the reason was, was pretty much gone and out of the equation. You mentioned the offensive tackle position. And if there was a bet in Vegas right now that the Browns' first-round pick, there are 10, right? Mm-hmm is going to be an offensive tackle or the field, any other position, you know, that's an even bet, even money. I would put money on the tackle. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. And that's where, you know, looking at it and there's four of them. I mean, the only possibility and look, you know, Josh Jones out of Houston, uh, he's getting a lot of love right now. And some of these Browns fans are looking at these tackles and getting a little confused here. You know, a guy like Josh Jones could be a real player at six foot seven, three ten, moves really well. Um, a, a popular one now is, you know, uh, Mackay Becton out of Louisville, yeah. six foot seven, 370 pounds. Yes, he moves very well, but the analytic approach is going to be when you look at a guy like Mackay Becton is, well, what's he look like in the fourth quarter? Let's put that tape on because 
it's going to be a question of endurance when you're 370 pounds. Look, the kid looks like an absolute beast. There's no doubt about it. But that's something that would be looked at under the analytic lens that may give Andrew Thomas, you know, who seems to be dropping now because he wasn't involved in the senior bowl because he's not allowed to go because he's a junior, which seems so weird. So many juniors get a right. slap. What do you do wrong? Yeah, yeah it's, it seems so weird. It's just like everybody rides that senior bowl high, but it's like, all right, well, these juniors haven't done anything. What are they getting dropped for? Um, but, oh, that's good media, Lord. Though. That's just a yep. what have you done for me lately media 100%. nonsense. Yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, and – and I get argument with these and, and some of the fans, well, well, you know, maybe you can go get, you know, one later and you can get them through free agency. It's, it's it, good tackles. Don't make free agency. And here's the other thing. Um, if you're going to look at who's going to be in the top five left tackles available in free agency and who's going to be in the top five right tackles available in free agency, the name you're going to have on both lists are the two guys you're trying to get out of town and Chris Hubbard and Greg Robinson tackles aren't available in free agents, free agency. It's an oddball thing that maybe happens once every five years. If the guy is good, he's going to get drafted. He's going to play four years. He's going to get a five-year extension. There's a reason left tackles usually only play for one franchise. Um, so it's it, it just makes way too much sense. And the fact that Baker was taking a lot of hits off the edge last year, um, you've got to basically double up and protect your investment. And the thing is, where it works out well for them is, you know, they have a center that just extended in J.C. Treader. Joel Batonio makes a good amount of money. You go get the young tackles now in three, four seasons when Batonio and Shredder are probably towards the end. You re-up the tackles, and then you rebuild from the inside. Baker Mayfield's career arc is fascinating to me. More on that, how to help him get there in Cleveland next. Jeff, uh, I want to talk about the offensive side of the ball a little bit here some more. And Nick Chubb was obviously awesome, and I was looking at the Pro football focus grades, and you guys talked about the offensive line there for a second, and I, I didn't, I knew the offensive line didn't really play well for the Browns, but I started looking at these grades. The highest graded guy was Greg Robinson at a 66.9, and it kind of only gets worse from there. Oh, actually, well, J.C. Treader had the best grade. He wasn't their best center. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, that means there's a lot of work to be done there, and there's so many ancillary uh, reasons why Baker Mayfield maybe didn't play well, and there's personalities and the coaching staff we know now was not great and the offensive line didn't play great but there's tons of weapons on offense what has to happen for Baker Mayfield this year is it all internal is it in his head is it all on him is it on the rest of the team is it on the coaching staff what has to happen for Baker Mayfield to hit that development path that we thought he was on in a rookie before he stumbled a little bit in year two well I mean if you're gonna first things first you look at it from this lens is Baker Mayfield when was the last time the young guy struggled? Uh, you know, breezed through Oklahoma. Um, essentially, he was seven, six, and one. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. He was. Yeah, he was. Um, I'm sorry. He was. He was uh, seven and six, uh, seven and six. Doing the math here. Yeah, he was seven and six as a Brown starter as a rookie on a team that was zero and sixteen and one and thirty one. He won more games than he lost. So you look at that the lens of going from zero and sixteen to where he took them. It's an amazing effort. Um, so guess what? Yeah, I mean, the juices were flowing. And wow, now Odell's brought in here and a couple more players. Um, did they maybe get a little lapsed? Maybe where they were allowed to get lapsed because they didn't have coaches, you know, a head coach in place who essentially knew exactly what he was doing. But there are things on Baker. Um, there's only a certain amount of drop you can take. You know, Baker was getting 11 yards and then not 
taking you know the crow hop up, so to speak. So you do that, guess what? Any any edge rusher is going to beat any offensive tackle when you give him that opportunity where, you know, if it's 10 yards, the edge is going to run past the tackle. That is just the way it works. There's nothing you can do about it. Baker was sloppy in his footwork, was sloppy in some of his mechanics, which is why they went out and got Alex Van Pelt. And whether or not Alex Van Pelt is actually going to be the offensive coordinator, it may be a title he has just because that was the only way they could get the quarterback coach that Alex Van Pelt is out of Cincinnati. Everything you're seeing, everything you're hearing seems like Alex Van Pelt wears the title of an offensive coordinator, but he's really here as a quarterback coach for Baker Mayfield. What's interesting about the Dolphins coming up, the Raiders last year, these teams that quote tank and end up with a ton of first round picks and all kinds of draft capital that I don't know that I've ever brought this up on the podcast, but it's something the Browns are about to deal with. And you kind of alluded to, they're going to have cap issues coming up is all your, if you hit on all those picks, all your good dudes become free agents at the same time. Well, yeah, of course. Um, but luckily, um, but well, I mean, you, you look at it in right off the bat, you've got to resign a num- two number one overall picks. Yeah. You've got to sign a number four overall pick. Um, you're going to have the Nick Chubb contract to worry about. That's four guys right there. And you're talking just between the four of them. Yo, well, let's see, Baker, uh, well, well, quarterbacks get 28, 30 mil is going to be the going rate. Yeah. Miles Garrett. He has um, a good year, more. Exactly. And now with, yeah. uh, you know, everyone talks about Olivier Vernon. Oh, we'll move on from him. And, you know, you can get somebody else for that money. Okay, well, next year, Miles Garrett is not only going to make the money he makes now, he's also going to make every drop of Olivier Vernon's 15 million too. Like, that's what these guys make. I don't think people get it. And this is where the depth of John Dorsey's drafts were one of the things that bit him in the ass. Um, whether it was a Gennard Avery, who they just decided we have no room for you, you know, uh, that we just no didn't like him anymore. Me either. <laughs> yeah, that <Nope>. Gennard Avery <laughs> trade. Yeah, that made zero sense at all. The you know what's interesting, and you got me thinking there, talking about paying these guys and paying quarterbacks. Is it going to cost twenty eight, thirty million? It's going to cost a lot more than that. We're going to see the DAC contract. I I saw them Did talking about the, the Chiefs right now. They need to sign. Patrick Mahomes yesterday because you wait an extra year, the new collective bargaining agreement happens. I mean, instead of talking about 32 million, you start talking about 40 million pretty soon. So if you're, if you're, if you, if you want to sign a quarterback and you've made that decision, sign him today because tomorrow it's going to cost infinitely more because it's getting crazy with that quarterback money. And if you're paying one of those quarterbacks, we've seen it's tough to pay everybody else on your roster. And and I wonder if a guy like Joku is the one that, you know, doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Like somebody's going to, mm-hmm. not everybody can get it all, you know? No. And, and honestly, that, that's maybe where they've got, they maybe got a break Um, is because, you know, and here's the weirdest thing. I mean, you know, David Njoku comes back last year after a broken wrist and to not get to play because your general manager is holding your blocking against you after you're coming back from a broken wrist. I mean, like that's how squirrely things got, but here's the thing. David Njoku essentially did nothing last year. So, right. Right now, he's got zero value. Um, contract so, with him right now. Yeah, buy low. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. And also, and for Kevin Stefanski, it's like, all right, well, I, can, so I essentially have this athletic tight end that was no part of the team last year. All right, let's see how I can find a way to use him. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Like, Najoku's the one in a tough spot. And he goes out this year and, say, puts up a 55, 700, and eight touchdowns. He's gone. There's no way they're going right, to be able right. to afford him. And he might. 
He certainly has the athleticism and the ability to do so. Um, it was just weird how it all went. And obviously you lose in week two, you know, you come back, uh, you know, week 15 and then they decide they don't want to play you over like some fluke fumble interception thing that happened against the Bengals. You know, it just got really messy last year. Percent chance Schobert and Randall return. Randall, Randall, I'm going to put like literally at zero. Okay. Um, and I think this is more of a Haslam thing because look, I mean, when he got suspended from that second game with Pittsburgh, which was essentially the season, I mean, man, that rubbed, not only did that rub the front office the wrong way, granted, some of those folks are gone, that rubbed teammates the wrong way. They were already down a lot of dudes. Schobert is the interesting one. Obviously, you know, Woods is going to come from San Francisco and see the way those linebackers covered and the way they all ran. And that seems to be the new in vogue thing. You know, my Browns listeners want, you're not going to go out and find, you know, three linebackers in one offseason that run sub four, six. The one thing Joe can do is Joe can play pass defense. You know, every now and then there's tackles missed and he has some of these issues beating some of these running backs to the edge. The guy can play pass defense, though. The Cleveland Browns continue to be one of the more fascinating teams in the league. That is Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns. If you know somebody who is a fan of the Cleveland Browns, first, give them a hug. Second, let them know that they have their team covered daily by Jeff at Locked On Browns. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Jeff, thank you so much for joining the program. Let's talk again about uh, maybe the draft and we get a little bit closer about that top 10 pick. Anytime, gentlemen. Matt, Brian, keep up the fantastic work, guys. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. That's it for us. Be back tomorrow, Twitter Thursday, right here, Locked On NFL.